The Longbox Crusade presents... Action Film Face-Off. This episode, it's 1988 versus 1997. Two films enter. One film leaves. Two men enter. One man leaves. Two men enter. One man leaves. Welcome to Action Film Face Off, the show where two random years are selected. My brother will bring an action film from one of those random years, while I bring an action film from the other random year. Then those two films will do battle using a variety of criteria, and a champion will be crowned by the end of the episode. But let me introduce one of your hosts, my brother, a U.S. Army combat veteran of Kosovo and Iraq, Jason Weasel Skull Albrecht. I've got to mind my P's and Q's today, and I got myself into a little bit of trouble. Mm. I uh, found some sunglasses cruising around downtown, and some people, it turned out, were aliens. Yeah, this little old lady tried to pass as a human. She was an alien. I started beating the crap out of her, and it turned out I was just tripping balls. (laughs) Threw me in jail. So That'll happen. So I got to be good tonight. Okay, good for you. So yes, indeed, we are going to score each of today's films on a scale of 1 to 10 in five categories. Those categories are story, overall spectacle, best action scene, the hero, and the villain. And then we have a special category called the deduction round, where up to 10 points will be subtracted from the film's total for whatever we determine is the low point in the movie. Let's find out what this episode's first action film is going to be from my brother and co-host, a U.S. Air Force combat veteran of Iraq and a combat self-defense instructor. Jared Albrick, yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Probe. Thank you, Jason. For our two films, enter the Video Dome Arena and fight for your pleasure. Are you not entertained? I'm entertained. <laughs> We're going to kick this episode off with some shout-outs to our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks that have joined our crusade. They enjoy discounts from my online store, which is theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com, early access to special long box episodes, so much more. In fact, I've been letting our Crusaders Club members vote on what movie I do on this very show. And this episode marks the first episode where the voters have determined what movie I selected. They have good taste. They do have good taste. But let's thank these folks real quick. Show them some love for the support that they give to the Longbox Crusade Network. Thank you for being a friend. And I'll kick it off with Bill Beer, Blaster Derstashit, Bob Busta Busta, Braxton Underwood, Dave Collins, Crazy Old Man, Gene Hendricks, I the Collector, Ivor Evans, Joe Thomas, John and Maggie, Maxwell Traver, Miranda W, Reggie Hancock, Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents. I see Rick's joined the crusade. What's up, Jeff? (laughs) We got half of them. (laughs) Ronald Wint. Ross Michaud. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Steve Cronin the Barbarian. Timmy. Toronto Cop. And who is Scorpio? That list is growing and I love it. Thank you to all those folks. 
If we missed anyone on our list, we apologize. Please keep in mind that we record our episodes well in advance of release, so if you're a recent addition, we will be adding you soon. But no worries, you can let us know that we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'll get it straightened out. You might be asking yourself, how do I become a Crusaders Club member? How do I become a Crusaders Club member? Well, you can't. We don't let you, but for most people... I know. <laughs> it's a trap. And I fall for it every time. <laughs> for most people, it's simple. Head over to patreon.com, search for Longbox Crusade. For as little as $1 a month, you get access to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club. Check it out. It's one buck a month. I mean, you could not drink one soda at McDonald's in the month. Your health goes up and you support the show. Mm-hmm. Think it through, people. But I do love a dollar soda from McDonald's. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, don't knock that dollar soda deal. That's pretty good. Uh, you got $2 in your pocket. Come on. You can get the dollar soda and enjoy that soda while listening to exclusive content of the Longbox Crusade. Look at it that way. Look at it that way. It's win-win. Anyway, quote Arnold Schwarzenegger, enough talk. Let's get back to the combat and learn a bit about the film gladiators about to battle for your pleasure. Absolutely. This episode, I was assigned the year of 1988. And while my script says that I have selected, the Crusaders Club has selected for me to bring to the show today, They Live, starring Roddy Piper and Keith David. I'm pretty fired up about that. What year did the randomizer select for you, Jason? Well, I got 1997, so I'm putting into our Videodome arena, Tomorrow Never Dies, starring Pierce Brosnan, Michelle Yeoh, and Jonathan Price. Whoa, that's uh, that's a crazy matchup. We got James Bond versus some John Carpenter sci-fi. Was, man, this is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, it was a tough choice for me. My scores are very close as well. This will be interesting. So it's important to point out that this isn't a Jared versus Jason. We each had to select a film from our assigned year, so I might very well like Jason's selection better than mine, and being a James Bond fan, that's probably true, or vice versa. Man, these are close. It's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is really all about Jason and I just discussing some beloved action films and coming to a consensus on which one is this episode's champion. At this point, we throw out our spoiler warning. Um, go watch these movies. There's not any huge plot point spoilers in either of these movies, but if you haven't seen them and you don't want us to ruin any aspect of them, pause it here. Go check out They Live by John Carpenter, 1988, and Tomorrow Never Dies, which is Roger Spottiswood, I think, from it is. 1997, and then come back to the show. So we'll see you in four hours. Welcome back. <laughs> Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that good stuff? All right, let me jump in with some quick info on 1988's They Live. This is an underrated gem of a movie, people. <laughs> <laughs> What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are, or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me! Put these on. They have us! Look at them! They're everywhere! We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business. Ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like Tattletail. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Watch, bud. Come here to chew bubblegum and kick. 
Okay, so the cast and crew include, obviously, Roddy Piper, Keith David, one of my favorite actors, and Meg Foster. It's directed by John Carpenter. Here's your synopsis. Working-class drifter Nada discovers that Earth has been invaded by aliens, but they look just like us, and they're subtly controlling all aspects of society. With the help of his friend Frank and a pair of special sunglasses that allows him to identify the aliens and their subliminal messages, Nada decides there's only one thing to do. Expose the truth and kill as many of them as he can. So here's some trivia about this film. The very famous line that comes out of this film that I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, I'm all out of bubblegum, was ad-libbed by Roddy Piper. He had previously written the line in a notebook that he kept of verbal bits to use during his wrestling career. He shared the notebook with Carpenter and they agreed that that line was a lot of fun so they decided to use it. In the future after the film, he did use it at an actual wrestling match. I'm sure the crowd went wild. Second trivia fact. Roddy Piper's character never gives his name, nor is he referenced by name at any time during the movie. The only time you'll see him referenced as Nada is in the credits. Of course, Nada means nothing in Spanish. And the name most certainly comes from the character George Nada from the Ray Nelson short story, 8 O'Clock in the Morning. That's what this movie was based on. And finally, that famous epic fight scene between Nada and Frank was rehearsed for about two months. And it was originally supposed to be much quicker. But Carpenter really liked all the choreography work that Piper and David had put into the fight. So he kept it all in. And by the way, aside from the nut shots that happen in the film, all hits are full contact. I'm sure there's some stage acting. I mean, you don't take a full contact fist to the face from either of those big guys. But, no. uh, but they were those are two big boys, man. <laughs> they were actually hitting each other. Yeah, that was a heck of a fight. But we'll get into more of that in a moment. I'm certain we will. I have a suspicion about which one we're going to pick for best action scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think we're going to be playing our cards too close to the vest on that one. But before we get there, I need to give you all the rundown on 1997 Tomorrow Never Dies. Action stations. Aye, aye, sir. Sound the general alarm. The Chinese pilot insists we're inside their territorial waters and he will fire an act of violence. Torpedo, torpedo, torpedo. Was an unprovoked attack on a ship in international waters. The promise of war. And instead of decisive action, all you want to do is investigate. My goal is to prevent World War Three. Admiral. Now, the world has only one chance for peace. When will our ships be in position? 48 hours. And just one man for the job. Bond. <laughs> James Bond. How much do you know about Elliot Carver, W7? Worldwide media band. Lots of newspapers, radio, satellite TV. There's no news. Like bad news. I understand you once had a relationship with Carver's wife. Was it something I said? How about the words, I'll be right back? I'm from the New China News Agency. Looking for a news story? You could have taken care of him. Let the mayhem begin. Your new BMW. Will you need collision coverage? Yes. Property destruction? Definitely. Personal injury? Accidents do happen. No, 007. You seem to have developed a certain attachment. I get to work with a decadent agent of a corrupt Western power. I think you've found the right decadent, corrupt Western agent as a partner. Phase two is underway. Season. 
doing? His job, the world belongs. To Bond. When you remove Mr. Bond's heart, there should just be enough time for him to watch it stop beating. I would have thought watching your TV shows was torture enough. The cast and crew included Pierce Brosnan, Michelle Yeoh, and Jonathan Price. It was directed by Roger Spottiswood. So the synopsis goes as follows. Pierce Brosnan's second foray as Agent 007 pits him against media mogul Elliot Carver. Carver is using his vast media empire to foment war between the UK and China, and it's up to James Bond and Chinese agent Wei Lin to stop it. High-speed chases in Hamburg, a thrilling halo jump into Vietnamese waters, and a pulse-pounding commando raid onto a high-tech stealth ship are just some of the thrills and chills in this high-octane thriller. Tomorrow might not die, but anyone who gets in 007's way will. And badly. So a couple trivia nuggets here. The first one is that director Roger Spottiswood intentionally took both Pierce Brosnan and Michelle Yeoh aside separately and told them both that they were going to drive the bike in that famous motorcycle chase scene. This led to a natural comical confusion and the who's driving element for the movie. Second, when Geert's Otto auditioned for the role of Stamper, he was given 20 seconds to introduce himself. He walked in, said, I'm big, I'm bad. I'm bold. I'm German. Five seconds. You can keep the rest and walked out. <laughs> and that's how he landed the part. He was great in that. Very memorable. Yep. Yeah, he did the uh, George Lazenby uh, method of audition. <laughs> and finally, although there are many references to the sordid affairs James Bond has with married women, this is actually the first film in which we see James Bond share a bed with another man's spouse. Aside and, from Gary Moneypenny, of course. <laughs> yeah, we know. So, Gary Moneypenny, yeah. He's, we never see him sleep with money penny but gary money penny is still not pleased with how bond acts in the office uh, yeah that ear nibbling butt smacking <laughs> just doesn't go in today's workplace folks that's all i'm saying <laughs> anyway now that we have the basics on today's contestants here we go let's fight ladies and gentlemen test your might Contestants are in the video dome arena. They are looking angry. They're staring each other down from across the dome, and the blood is about to fly. So let's get into round one. Round one is the story. Catch you at a bad time. How engaging and original is the story? Let's find out, and we'll let Jason talk a little bit about his thoughts on the story of They Live. Well, I think the story needs to be put in context of the time, which is the late 80s. This was the era of Reaganomics, greed is good type of philosophy was prevalent at the time. And I think this was a social commentary that provided kind of a counterpoint to that philosophy. And so I think, you know, it was something that was trying to highlight the power structure that existed in, and some would say continue to exist in, in the U.S. and how the government and mass media and the market are trying to manipulate 
manipulate your decisions. So I think you have to kind of put it all in that 80s grinder. It was a little didactic, I thought. I did but too, but I'm going to need the definition of didactic. Kind of like preachy. Oh, okay, kind of okay, okay. I mean, it even had kind of a preacher in there to be <laughs> preachy about. He is kind of the definition of didactic. <laughs> yeah, okay. Heavy handed. I could see that. Sure. But at the same time, I mean, I think it did bring up some good points, you know, in a fun way. At the end of the day, it was very, still very entertaining and engaging with, with a lot of fun spectacle. And it did carry a message. Uh, but I think you need to keep in mind the context of the zeitgeist of the times. Those are my thoughts. No, no, I think you're right. When you watch it, there definitely is a heavy-handed feel of the 80s, and you can tell that Carpenter is no fan of Reagan. But, like you said, if you're going to do that, wrap it around a silly wrestler versus aliens movie, right? So yeah. So it's, it's fun to watch. I don't want people out there to hear the show, maybe you haven't seen the movie, and go, oh, you know, so much politics in the world today, I'm skipping this. Don't skip it. No matter what side of the political fence you sit on, it, you're going to have fun with it. It's a fun film. That's definitely my thoughts on the story. You know me. I love of wacky combinations and you got this wrestler guy this might be his first feature film i think it was you know he's discovered aliens and he's battling them via a pair of sunglasses that he found that allows him to see it it's such a kind of gloriously stupid 80s plot that it's just wonderful it's just you've literally never seen anything like it and that's a strong thing to say when it comes to the story yeah i can't say as i can recall anything that fully replicates it now <laughs> oh no, yeah yes and hats off to Roddy Piper because it was so politically charged at the time he would get a lot of questions on the press tour for the movie you know what are your thoughts on this whole political message and Roddy Piper was not a US citizen and his answer would always be that's not for me to say I'm not from this country and he did say that he was actually a I guess friend of President Reagan. So what a classy guy to, you know, not jump on a bandwagon and just say, you know, hey, enjoy the film. You know, <laughs> let's not worry about that. And I respect that. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I thought too, even as I was writing these notes, I was like, you just, you can't overlook the political aspect of, of the message. It's kind of right there in, in your face. But like you said, I think they dressed it up with enough comical moments and action and definitely good guy versus bad guy. It was very black and white, kind of literally. Yeah. With sunglasses on. <laughs> well played. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I hope it doesn't push people away because of the political context of the time, because it is a heck of a fun movie. It really is. It really is. And again, we don't mean to get into political film face off. Peek behind the curtain. Jason and I have very different political beliefs, and we both love this film. So it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like it's Roddy Piper kicking ass on some aliens. And that's fun. No yeah, matter what's really not a political spectrum you're on. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Well, it's not a whole heck of a lot political about Tomorrow Never Dies, unless you, you know, count the potential breakout of World War III. <laughs> but what do you think about the story of Tomorrow Never Dies? I hate to disagree with you, but I think there are definitely some political relevance uh, in today's time. They were were ahead of their time with that. Yes, yes. That's what, I mean, that's one of the things I thought about. The whole plot of it really is a media baron that creates fake news for his own political gains. And so, yeah, today's post-fact world or fake news world, whatever name you want to give it, yeah, it's definitely what's old is new again. And then you can even argue, I mean, that plot even goes back further in history with William Randolph Hearst and so forth and so on. But yeah, outside of that, the script was pretty lean. The plot was pretty simple. Script was pretty lean, but it it had movement, man. It had tons of action, enough plot to hold it together. But the meat and potatoes really are the action sets. 
I agree. If for those of you that don't know, Jason and I are on another network called On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, where we review James Bond films with our friends Delvin and Pat. And we just did Tomorrow Never Dies. Jason made a comment on that episode where this Bond story fits more in line with what Spy Who Loved Me. You only live twice in Moonraker. Twice in Moonraker. Yes. Yeah, the Lewis Gilbert films, really. <laughs> the ones where they just kind of move from action set piece to action set piece. You can check your brain out. You don't have to think too much about it. But it's still done in a real kind of crisp and glorious fashion so i don't want to sit here and say all oh, those stories bad it just serves its purpose and it's all you need that's my thought yeah i think there are definitely different kinds of flavors of bond movies and this is definitely one of those that i guess playful would be the mm, word that's, that's i would good. i like that we could delve deep into the, all the reasons the rewrites and plot points that got revealed necessitating new rewrites and people casted leaving and people have written whole books on this the subject but at the end of the day you know one of the benefits of that is it forces people to come together and say, well, what, this is what we got, you know, what can we make of this in a hurry to stay on production time? And sometimes what you get is lean, mean, but it's good. I mean, it's just people come up with the most basic fun elements and it makes for a fun movie. And I think that's what we have here. And I think you couldn't have said any better, man. You're, you're getting this point where nobody's laughing at you on the show anymore. <laughs> I don't like it, but <laughs> these nuts. There, there you go. go. <laughs> people are loving your Star Wars breakdown from last episode, man. And I concur. You did really well on that. So nobody's laughing at you, my friend. Well, it only took me 40 years and 30 <laughs> rewatches before I finally came to that epiphany. Well, let's go ahead and score these two films in the category of story. Let's start with They Live. Just as a reminder on how the scoring system works here, it's a scale of 1 to 10. If we give it a 5, that means it's average. Okay, a lot of 1 to 10 places, 5 is like something terrible. No, no. Here, it's average. It's something you would see on a good TV show from the 80s. It serves its purpose. It's fine. It doesn't make you excited, but it's average. So that's your barometer set. Five is just middle of the road. Let's find out what Jason scored. They live the story. I gave They Live a six. I thought, you know, as a basic plot, like I said, some didactic political commentary from Carpenter, but dressed up pretty nice and still fun. So six for me. All right. I went a bit higher. I gave it an eight, mainly because I didn't know the definition of didactic until tonight. All right. That's okay. <laughs> no, I gave it an eight basically because you're right. I mean, it's simple. Overall, it's a real simple story. But like I mentioned before in our discussion, I've never seen anything like it. So I gave it kind of a bonus bump for that. To me, if I see something that's very, very unique that I haven't seen before, it just seemed wholly original to me. So I gave it an A. Hmm. And I wonder, because I think maybe I was more liberal with that in the spectacle oh, part okay. of it. Okay. So maybe th maybe that's where we'll bounce. We'll have to see. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Ah, we're only two points apart. No big deal. Tomorrow Never Dies. What do you got? One to ten. I'm giving that one a seven. I know it gets a lot of criticism for being kind of half-baked, not fully fleshed out. A lot of critics say it should have been pushed out about six months, but I still had a lot of fun with it. And just judging by the reaction of our rookie agents, shameless plug for our other podcast, <laughs> I feel vindicated giving this one a seven. I gave it a seven. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we are. Hey, now I feel really vindicated. Now Jason and I have very similar taste in our James Bond movie, so I bet our score is going to be very close. I suspect it might. <laughs> well, that is the end of round one. So I guess I'm stepping up here to talk about round two. If you're up to me, I'd just kill you. Which is the hero. And we'll start off with They Live and Nada and crew from the film They Live. What did you think of the hero, Jared? I really enjoyed it. 
Rowdy Roddy Piper is never going to win an Academy Award. Okay, he's <laughs> especially he's, now. <laughs> yes, he's a wrestler turned actor, but well cast because he plays a simple man, not stupid, but just simple. His acting ability lined up nicely with that, and I actually think he exceeded expectations as far as his acting ability. And then you couple him with his partner Frank, played by Keith David whom I love, that's a winning combination. So look for a pretty decent score for me as far as the heroes go. What did you think? Despite his, you know, acting abilities or lack thereof, and he wasn't a bad actor. I'll go ahead and say that. I don't really watch wrestling. That's more of uh, Silverhand's dark web territory. <laughs> but from what I do know of it, I mean, you got to have some some sort of acting chops to be successful in that world. And he had a ton of charisma, man. He had a humble charm about him mm-hmm. uh, when he was on the screen. He really owned that screen. They were smart to pair him up with somebody as good as Keith David. The two of them played absolutely well off of one another. Their physical skills were outstanding. You know, the two of them just made a pretty formidable duo throughout the whole movie. I would have liked to seen more films with them in a duo. Yeah, I would not have said no to that. They live too. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> oh, that's right. So anyway, so those are my thoughts on the heroes from They Live. Let's turn it over to Agent 007. Uh, you've heard of him, I think, haven't I, you, Jared? I am familiar with the character from screen and uh, and book pages. <laughs> okay. So should we just take your 10 now and just not? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if you can see my score sheet for where you're at, but uh, I don't want to reveal too much about my 10, but I'll reveal my 10 later. Okay. All right. All okay. <laughs> So let's face it. We're rating the hero. The hero mm. is James Bond. Yes, sir. The re- hero is played by Pierce Brosnan. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't think it's his best performance. And I think it's a, it's a good performance by Pierce. I Even if it, you don't think it, it is. We got to look at the other hero of the film, which is Michelle Yeoh as Wei Lin. Yes, we do. If you think that one-two combo isn't getting a 10, you're crazy. Back to you, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about it before. You got to start all your bonds at seven. Mm-hmm. And I mean, your old Sean Connery start out at seven. Your old Roger Moore start out at seven. He's talking age, folks, not the old films. When they were old. (laughs) When they were old, they get a seven. I don't want to hear any tweets on this subject. (laughs) This this is law. This is law. You can look it up. But anyway, I thought that Pierce looked and acted amongst his best here. I think he looked absolutely baller in whatever scene he was in. And I'm talking, they had him in scuba gear, naval outfit, commando outfit. I mean, he just looked the business. And you nailed it. Wei Lin, she was awesome. I mean, she was sexy. She was brilliant. She was competent. She was dangerous. Great combination there. Time to score it. Jared. Yes. What score did you give for the heroes of They Live? I gave him a seven and a very happy seven. Very competent. Good job. Seven. What about you? I also gave it a seven. I think our scores are going to be the same in this round. <laughs> I think so. We're, there's not a lot of daylight. <laughs> All right. Just throw the 10 on the final. for... All right. gets a 10. Flawless victory. I gave Bond a 9 for that film. The only Bonds I give a 10, really, are for the first three Sean Connerys. Those are 10s right there. But this is definitely a 9. Waylon bumps it to a 10. Flawless victory. 10. And this round, you and I had the exact same scores for both movies. And looking at it down the column for Tomorrow Never Dies, as predicted, we've gone two rounds, and you and I have had the exact same scores. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I 
think you're leading us in the villain category. I sure am. Let's get into round three. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. In round three, we are definitely going to talk about the villain. How menacing was this villain? How memorable is this villain? And that could be a problem for They Live. Let's talk about that. Jason, what do you think about the quote-unquote villain of They Live? I did struggle with this one for a little bit because, I mean, if you look at the villain, you know, as the aliens, okay, just overall as the aliens, they look kind of goofy, but I think that was part of the charm of the movie to some degree. I think that the big bad guy, there isn't really a big bad guy. It's, you know, it's a commentary on society. It's you're punching at the wind. So to speak. He's fighting the man. Yeah, he's fighting the man. And and the man had a physical manifestation in this film in the form of that radio communication antenna. But that's really no substitute for having a big boss. So, you know, I'll just leave it at that. I had trouble with the villain in this in this film. Same thing here because there's no true villain. Like you said, it's him against the world, almost literally. The only real villains you can put a face to are the humans that have betrayed other humans. Yeah. While the actors were fine, they're still not the big boss. So the villain aspect from Action Film Face-Off is a bit vague here. What they did with the villains was fun and it was exciting, but there's no boss battle. It's always Nada and Frank versus a bunch of guys. Yeah, and there's not a really visceral satisfying conclusion to that either, in my opinion. I concur. What about Mr. Elliot Carver over in the James Bond film and his goons, including Stamper and the multi-talented Gupta? All I have to say is, hey, ooh, ah, ah, ah. Pathetic. Pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) No, in all seriousness, I thought Carver was, you know, he was smart, obviously psychotic and uh, a little bit creepy, spying on his wife all the time. That's a little weird. Then he murdered her. Yeah, then had her murdered. murdered. Yeah, he's not going to get his hands dirty doing that. You know, I I do like Stamper a lot. I hear him kind of bad-mouthed on some of the other Bond sites, but, you know, as I watched this film again, I was like, He's not bad. I mean, he's supposed to be the muscle, and he's the muscle. <laughs> yeah, he, he was tough. He was physically imposing, powerful, and obviously dangerous. So I like Stamper quite a bit. My main, I guess, complaint about the film, I don't know if complaint's the right word, but I would have liked a, a little bit more of the story on the rogue Chinese general. Yes. It seemed like there was a really interesting element in here that I'll bet if they, this is probably one of those things, if they'd have had more time to flesh it out, we would have got some backstory. But I mean, he was kind of a critical component in this. I mean, he provided the materials for the stealth boat. He was the other half of the party of this big plot. And really, we get to see him walk down the hallway one time. And, and she's, that's, like, she's like, that's General Chang. And he's like, that's what I thought. And we're all like, who the f- is General Chang? General Chang, <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I felt like we could have used a little more General Chang. Those are my thoughts. What about you? I would like some General Chang's chicken. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That sounds delicious. <laughs> the side <of> dumplings. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Man, I, I just got to echo what you said and go on the same rant that I went on on our James Bond show about Gupta. Okay, I just want to run down Gupta's resume one more time for everybody. All right, run it down. So Gupta was handling sales and wheeling and dealing at the Arms Bazaar at the beginning. He gets Gupta around. was in charge of the GPS mix-up, basically reprogramming a GPS satellite. He can do He's that. He's a techie man, much like our Custodos. Yep. He works the party for Carver. He watches the security cams, so apparently he's also working security. Mm-hmm. Um, he does audio cleanup work when they need to hear muffled sounds. On the- Yeah, not so much like Christados. No. <laughs> he ran a background check on Bond for Carver, kept Carver's schedule. He was basically a receptionist for the whole General Chang visit. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you just don't get help like that anymore. Gupta, he did it all, man. He did it, it explained the speed that he was keeping in his uh, secret safe there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when, you, when you see inside of his secret safe, he carries what? He's got a GPS encoder, which is important to the movie's plot. Mm-hmm. He's got the plot point, smut, and drugs. Smut, and he's got drugs, <laughs> yes. And I think some money. I think there might have been cash in there, too. You might be right, yeah. But, yeah, his safe is just a treasure trove of vice and amazing things. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, if you and I had been on assignment there, we would have come back to MI6 headquarters and be like, here's some money. Here's some drugs. <laughs> some drugs. Where's know. the GPS encoder? Oh, <laughs> dang it. Is that what is in that red box? <laughs> I brought the smut, the drugs, and the money. <laughs> I brought everything I thought was important. <laughs> As Jason mentioned on our, once again, James Bond episode on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, go check it out. The original villain was supposed to be played by Anthony Hopkins. So. While I, I thought Jonathan Price did a great job, I can't help but think it might have taken a step up in villainry with Sir Anthony Hopkins at that role. Who's to say? But I sure would like to see that version. Hello, Bond. <laughs> Good to see you again. <laughs> fly, fly. Fly, fly. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, well, you know what we should do? We should score these two films. In terms of the villain, let's go to They Live. It's a tough score because there's no real belly button villain. What'd you come up with? I gave that one a six. I gave it a six as well. Just slightly above average because it's really just a massive guys. I do want to point out, though, that when you watch those massive guys who are aliens, but they look like humans and they have like these special commando guys, I think they run around in like gray and black suits and they're tracking people with this electronic tracker they have. It's the same exact prop from Ghostbusters that they use for the PKE meter. I noticed that. (laughs) That Ghostbusters PKE meter found a second home and they live. Mm-hmm. All right, Tomorrow Never Dies. Scale of 1 to 10. I gave it a 7. <laughs> you got to tell me you gave it a 7, I too. I gave it now. a 7. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so we have another we round have- where we scored both movies exactly the same, and our James Bond column continues to be identical. <laughs> <sighs> We've watched too many Bond films together, I think. We really, <laughs> really have. And that is it for round three. All right, that'll bring us to round four, the overall spectacle. Let the mayhem begin. How visually engaging is the film overall? We're talking stunts. We're talking effects. We're talking cinematography. All that good stuff. Jared, Mm. what did you think of the overall spectacle for They Live? You know, I got to say, when you watch They Live, you will probably think late 80s, modest budget. Mm -hmm. But what they got out of that was pretty good. They make really good use of matte painting work. They make really good use of effects work when he puts on the sunglasses and it's black and white. The way they do the effects it while it might appear maybe slightly cheesy you gotta say that it's original you've never really seen anything like it it's fun to watch and then when you factor in a lot of more spectacle with gun battles and fist fights there's a lot to see so i've got a decent score coming for they live on spectacle what do you say i agree with what you said and i think that the actors again really helped kind of sell it and even though there wasn't a lot of budget just the way that they portrayed the effects of wearing the sunglasses through physical acting i thought was pretty impressive there were some good shootouts obviously one kick-ass fist fight i'd say the, the only thing that was 
kind of missing was I was looking for a good car chase. I wish it had a good chase scene in there. Hmm, that's fair. I mean, really don't. You get some foot chase stuff, especially like when the early kind of first half of the film, when the homeless camp gets invaded and everyone's kind of scattering for their lives. But that's really, I mean, other than that, he's kind of a man on the run through the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to double back with a piece of trivia that I thought was interesting that I didn't put into my trivia nuggets because I just talked about the homeless encampment attack scene. One very cool thing I think that John Carpenter did was he had his principal actors and then everybody else in the homeless scene were real homeless people. So he gave them work. They were able to make money on working for the film. And I thought, you know, that's a really cool thing. It adds on to authenticity to the film and it helps out a community that needs it. So I just thought that was worth mentioning. I did not know that. That is very interesting. Very cool. Yeah, I think the only two other things to note that I had on Spectacle for this one is I did like the L.A. setting. Movies set in L.A. are just kind of cool. And then Piper's mullet. Come on, man. That was badass. He was rocking that mullet. (laughs) Most mullets, you look back in history and go, come on, man. But Piper's mullet, that's legit. Yeah. I mean, even Julia's like, you know, maybe they should bring the mullet back. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere Pat Sampson's like, good, good. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What about spectacle for tomorrow never dies? I feel like it's almost unfair to score the spectacle of this movie because I'm pretty much everything I'm doing in the James Bond scores is within the James Bond universe. Yeah. And it has really, really good spectacle. It moves from set piece to set piece, but build it, build it, build it, blow it up. <laughs> exactly. I've seen other Bond movies that have better spectacle. So it's not going to get a perfect score, but it'll get a high score. And that might be unfair because I mean, let's face it. If you look at, for example, a for your eyes only, that movie is spectacular. Spectacle balls the wall from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. That is true. And and while this was close, this was a lot of set piece to set piece to set piece. One thing I regret is you've got this amazing person called Michelle Yeoh. And she does stunts and she does kung fu. And you really only get one good scene of that. They should have got more mileage out of Waylon in that film, I think. Yeah, and I think, too, as, as you were talking, uh, an idea hit me. Even though For Your Eyes only had spectacle, it was different types of spectacle. Yes. As well. I mean, you had some good gunfights with the raid on the dock. You had some good car chases. You had some good ski chases. You had an underwater scene. You had a literal cliffhanger at the very end mm-hmm. of the movie. So it gave you different flavors. And this one was all kind of the same flavor. Gunfight, gunfight, gunfight. Mm-hmm. Chase with a gunfight. And so I will say that having different types of action helps keep it from getting maybe a little too monotonous. Agreed. Yes, that's an excellent point. So, yeah, I mean, as I look at my notes... I I kind of said the same thing. Tons of action. I thought the pre-title sequence was pretty spectacular. Uh, yes. Yes. Very noteworthy. I'll probably bring it up in our next category. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, again, we may be in agreement here at our next category. <laughs> I bet we are. <laughs> I will say, though, one thing I did like was the disparate locations. We only had a couple locations, you know, between Vietnam and Hamburg, but you had the high-tech city of Hamburg with that European flavor, and you moved to the more kind of exotic that crowded the streets. And uh, is it still Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam? Asia. Uh, (laughs) Vietnam. We'll just say Vietnam. I'm American. I don't know geography. Uh, Asia. (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought I thought the stealth boat set was pretty cool. It's kind of like a miniature version of the Spy Who Loved Me, the tanker at the end of there. The Liparus, was that it? Lepardus? Lepardus, yeah. yeah. Those were my thoughts. I guess we better score it. Let's do that. What are you scoring spectacle for They Live? I liked it. I thought it was solid, and I gave it a seven. All right. I was a little bit lower than that. I landed on a six. Hey, you know, at least we mixed up the scores for once. Yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> getting a little separation here. <laughs> All right. TND. It's dynamite. What are you giving it? This is probably not fair because I scored it within the James Bond universe. So I gave it an eight. I think if I brought it out, it might be worth a little more because I think it is a cut above a lot of movies. But I landed on an eight. What do you say? I gave it a 0077. Hey, once again, at least it's different scores. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I was a little harsher to it, I think. We are four rounds into it and we have a difference in our score of the James Bond movie of one point. <laughs> All right. That's pretty good. That might be as, that might be all we get here. There you go. So that is the end of the spectacle round. And I will lead us into round five. And round five is best action scene. Now, folks, this is Action Film Face-Off. If you don't have a best action scene, you probably don't deserve to be on the show. So oh, I've got a best action scene. I have, I have got a best action scene. <laughs> I have a suspicion that both my brother Jason and I are going to pick the same action scene for both of these movies. That is my prediction for this round. Let's find out. Jason, let me just ask you a pointed question. For your best action scene, did you pick the alleyway fight between Nada and Frank? I will answer you this way. You either give it that score or you start eating that trash can. (laughs) (laughs) No. I almost almost said the score I was going to give it. I had to to raid myself in. I will not give it a score. (laughs) Of course, best action scene of that one was the alley fight scene. We're talking suplexes, headbutts, and let's not forget the not one, not two, not three, but four multiple nutcrackers. <laughs> yes, yes. As I mentioned in the trivia, they really went into rehearsing that scene, uh, both uh, Roddy Piper and Keith David. They really got into that, and Carpenter was really quite taken with it. And Piper, being a wrestler, told Carpenter, I want to work a suplex into this scene. And, and Carpenter was like, yeah, yeah, work a suplex in the scene. And Piper was like, well, what kind of suplex? And Carpenter was like, I don't know from different kinds of suplexes. And so Piper was like, okay, well, let me show you how they work. And he started to, to do one on him. And, and Carpenter it was basically like, no, no, you just pick. <laughs> you just pick. Yeah, I trust you. I trust you. Although a rumor has it, he did allow Piper to put him in a sleeper hold to see if that actually worked. And surprise, it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he got cast. <laughs> it was originally supposed to be Schwarzenegger. But he knocked Carpenter out. Schwarzenegger got bored, left. He's like, I guess you're stuck with me. <laughs> you know, speaking of which, you know who else was obviously high on the list of casting for a John Carpenter action film? Well, I said Schwarzenegger, but I'm going to guess it's somebody else. It's a John Carpenter action film. So guess Kurt guess, Russell. Yes. Kurt Russell was high on the list. I can't remember why it didn't work out. I think a Kurt Russell version of this movie would be amazing and I would love it. But I also love the fact that I've got this really good, unique writer. Rowdy Roddy Piper film. Yeah. You can put Kurt Russell in just about any movie and go, hmm, that might be entertaining. <laughs> man, when is Soldier going to show up on Action Film Face Off so I can hand out all my tents? <laughs> oh, man. I was thinking <laughs> that the other day. 
Oh, I was replaced by a better soldier, sir. <laughs> oh, God, I love that movie. I don't care what anybody says. Anyway, in case you haven't figured it out, I'm in agreement with Jason. Alley fight between Nada and Frank all day long. It lasts, I want to say, over five minutes of actual fight. They just keep going and keep going. And every time you think that fight's over, it's not over. So if you've never seen it, that's what this movie's famous for. At least go to YouTube and type in, they live, fight. That's all you need. It'll come up. <laughs> Yeah, and, and enjoy it. It knows, it knows what you're talking about. And you know what? Here's the beauty part about it. It's not flashy. It's not a kung fu fight. It's not a Jean-Claude Van Damme spin kicks fight. It is two dudes, big muscle-bound dudes, just wailing away on each other. It's two construction workers fighting. Yeah, there you go. It's two construction workers <laughs> fighting. There you go. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful to watch. So let's go over Tomorrow Never Dies and find out what Jason and I are going to agree on there for our favorite action scene. Jason, you want to go ahead and reveal what it's going to be? Pre-titles. Yep, pre-credit sequence. Absolutely. Tell me what you love about it. Oh, man. It's really just got about all of it. It's got Sneaky Bond infiltrating into the lion's den. It's him taking on an army of bad guys with nothing but his wits, his fist, uh, some explosive uh, gadgets, and whatever he can steal, which includes a jet. It culminates in a near miss as we almost have nuclear Armageddon uh, as a missile hones in on the site and Bond has to fly away to nuclear torpedoes. And then it's got some great air-to-air combat scene afterwards between him and another jet and the guy in the backseat of the jet that he's in. If it sounds confusing, just watch it, man. <laughs> there's a lot of pieces here, people. I was just, yeah, I'm trying to break it all down, but there's a lot going on. And then it ends with the afterburners kicking in, blowing out your screen, and then going into the credits. Masterpiece. Masterpiece. And I can add two more things to what Jason just said. They work all that in into a very short amount of time because this is the pre-credit sequence from a Bond movie. So it's only a few minutes. They also managed to work in James Bond's mission control. So you're getting to see, you know, M and his mission control buddies, you know, back in what I assume is probably London monitoring. Good point. Mission. Good point. Yeah. And you see their genuine care and concern for 007. So there's an emotional layer. And I have to mention the David Arnold score. This is David Arnold's first score. I do believe of a James Bond film and that particular sound cue that runs through the opening credits called White Knight is incredible. So look for a very, very good score from me. Speaking of score, let's go back to the alleyway fist fight. I feel like you like it better than I do. I've got a really good score for it, but I want to know what you've got. You know, I I don't know. I gave it a seven. I thought it was... Oh, I thought you were like a 10 guy on this one. No, no, no. I thought that, oh crap, I lied. I'm looking at the wrong one. I gave it an eight. (laughs) (laughs) I have my scores mixed up. My fault. (laughs) Jason gives it an eight. I thought it was an outstanding choreographed fight, well executed, tremendous physical acting. And I mean, just the acting within the moment itself. And I'm thinking about that point where Piper gets super mad and picks up that two by four and starts swinging it and busts out the window of the car. And then he like he stops and he realizes like, oh, you know, crap, I've taken it too far. (laughs) He's like, oh, man. And he starts to calm down. But now Keith David's pissed off, right? And he's like, ah. You're trying to straight up kill me. (laughs) And so, I mean, it's just watching because I don't know how to explain it. It's just like watching their emotional levels go up and down. And it's, it's just a great combination of physical and actual acting. 
Yeah, you can tell that a professional wrestler was involved in that because that's what they do. You know, they do really hardcore stunt work fighting. Okay, for those of you that want to believe, it's real. Okay, it's fine. It's real. But and they and they have to convey talking emotion. to you, Dave. <laughs> talking to Delvin. Uh, <laughs> and they have real. to convey emotion. There's a storyline they have to put through in wrestling while they're doing the physicality, and that really translates. That's that's. I think that's what we're seeing there. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought I was really impressed. So eight for me. You know what? I scored it an eight. Surprise, All right. everyone. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Let's go over to James Bond and find out what matching scores we had over there. We both picked the pre-credit sequence. That thing is amazing. That's something you can just pop on and watch the pre-credits of and get your Bond fixed real quick for the day. What'd you score? Yeah, I scored this one a seven. Uh, we I are think... apart on this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a feeling that we might be. And again, I'm scoring it against Bond. You know, if you're scoring against other movies, it would definitely be higher. But I, I just kind of put it in my mind of, okay, what other pre-credits scenes that I really liked? And I got to thinking about Goldeneye. I got to thinking about Octopussy. I have a kind of a soft spot in my heart for Goldfinger since that was kind of the first one. Casino Royale, I thought was really brilliant as well. So that's kind of how I landed on a seven. All right. I'm, I'm disappointed that you didn't bring up Living Daylights. But, uh. <laughs> Holy crap. Yes. Living Daylights. <laughs> of course. And I mean, I, I did in all honesty, I like that pre titles a little bit better. Just anyway, I'll shut up. I've, right. I've, I've I, railed on them. I think I actually stepped out of the James Bond formula on this one and, and just ranked it straight up as an action scene. And I give it a nine. I get a hell of a charge out of it. So, Good news, people. There we actually have two points of, of discrepancy. Oh yeah, we're starting to separate. There's some separation as we move into our final round, and I'll let you take us there. Got my ass kicked. All right. Well, this final round is the deduction round, and we're going backwards. We're going to look back through the film and our mental Rolodex, and if there's something that is just really nagging at us that we absolutely hate, helicopter scene, then we are going to deduct some points for it. And Jared. Yes. What are you taking off for They Live? All right. I do have some, unfortunately, some points to deduct from They Live. Not too many, though. All right. <laughs> I have minus one for the quote-unquote soundtrack. <laughs> You were buying that soundtrack? Carpenter is famous for doing his own soundtracks. They're oftentimes very simple and somewhat repetitive. And this one is very, very simple and very, very repetitive. It's like, we're talking like three notes through the whole movie. At some point, it became distracting. So minus one could have had a better soundtrack. My other minus one was the very unceremonious death of an amazing character like Frank. All right. We love Keith David. He straight up got shot in the back of the head. The end. He didn't get to die a hero's death. We didn't even get to see it. It wasn't even on screen. And I'm like, you've got this great actor and this great character. You should at least let him go out in a heroic way. Much like, spoiler alert, Nada did. Yeah, no, I agree with that entirely. Is that all the deductions you had? Or yeah, that's it. I'm anymore? deducting two points. One for the soundtrack that was so simple it got distracting. And one for the unceremonious death of an awesome character like Frank. Okay, well, I also deducted two points. Okay. One, because I hate that when they do that one-handed shooting from the hip bullshit where they oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know and they're like mowing everybody down and you're not gonna hit anybody doing that and and it just looked ridiculous when roddy roddy piper was doing that in the alley yes i wish they would have been a little more realistic with their gunplay yes I just, I, I don't like it. So minus one there. And then the other minus one is, man, I was really frustrated that that little a- 
Michael Trader. <laughs> Come away at the end, man. <laughs> you never got what was coming to him. You've ruined my day because you just now made me realize he got away with it. <laughs> I was like, you know, he was the big winner of that film. He like, I was living in poverty. Now I'm having steaks and champagne. And like, <laughs> so the moral of the story to me is like, why fight it? You're just gonna die giving the finger on a roof, and you can <laughs> you can be living it up, man. Living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I actually have to go against now. Now that you've brought that out, I actually have to go against the intended message of John Carpenter. Be like, no, man. I'm rolling over, roll over for the man. He <laughs> was like, you're, you know, stand up for yourself, stand up for yourself. F these traders. But in the end, it was the trader got away with it. He won. <laughs> I could have gone my whole life without remembering that. Now you've got it in my head. So those are my uh, negative points. What about Tomorrow Never Dies? You taking anything away from that? You know wuppa, I am. Wuppa, wuppa, wuppa. <laughs> you know I am, and you know exactly what it is. Minus one for that ridiculous helicopter chase scene. Let me be specific. The helicopter chasing was fine when the helicopter was chasing the motorcycle and Bond's going through like the buildings. Uh, the chase scene was phenomenal. He's ramping the off The helicopter chase scene was beer. <laughs> yes. Michelle Yeoh is doing cool Michelle Yeoh things on the motorcycle. And then all of a sudden, the helicopter decides to abandon its plan of shooting Bond with the guns from the helicopter and to try to chop him up with the rotor blades by coming down the street and chopping everything up in its way. And that's just, I work in the helicopter industry in my day job. That's not how things work. You don't want your blades to hit anything because you will more than likely die. So that is just bad strategy. It doesn't work that way in real life. And I don't like it. That's the only point I will take off, though. What do you got? Same thing, minus two. It's losing two points Ooh, for that. Oh, you gave it two points on the helicopter. Yeah. That chase seed had the potential to be the best action seed of that movie, and they blew it away because of that particular moment. It's worth pointing out, too, that you would think by the 18th Eon-produced James Bond movie, we would have had some sort of an incredible James Bond motorcycle thing, but we hadn't. The best James Bond motorcycle scene, maybe to this day, is in Never Say Never Again. You might be right. Yeah. So the Eon guys really had their first crack at a really good motorcycle scene, and they pooched it with that helicopter. And to be clear... I am perfectly okay with that jump over the helicopter. Yes. Over the rotor blades. I'm down with that. That was okay. It's just that scene in the alleyway. It's like, it makes no sense. I think it's time to do math. It is time to do some math. That is the end of our rounds. Our fighters are bloody. They are broken, but they are about to be judged by Jason and myself. We're going to do some I math. got four nutcrackers and is lying in the fetal position. In the- <laughs> <laughs> so, again, folks, don't worry if you haven't been keeping up with the math at home. We do that for you here at Action Film Face Off. And looking at the judges' scorecards, the winner of this episode of Action Film Face Off, with a score of 76 to 65, is Tomorrow Never Dies. Congratulations to Tomorrow Never Dies. Now let's head over to the randomizer and find out what the years are going to be for our next episode. So my brother Jared will be pulling a film from... Choose Your Destiny. 1977. And I will bring a film from... Choose Your Destiny. 1993. So what will those films be? We'll tease them on social media for those of you who want to watch before listening, Dave. Or you can tune in next episode to find out. 
Until then, I'm Jason Weasel Skull Albrecht, and you can find me on social media at Weasel Skull on Twitter or Jason Albrecht on Facebook or Instagram. And you can find me, Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, a.k.a. Death Probe, at Yard Sale Artist. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. And be sure to check out all the shows under the Longbox Crusade umbrella by subscribing to Longbox Crusade on iTunes, Google Play, or pretty much all your finer pod catchers, or directly at www.longboxcrusade.com. We've got shows on comic books, we've got other shows on comic books, we've got shows on Transformers comic books, and if you don't like comic books, we do retro TV and serial shows as well. We're currently looking at 1954 Sherlock Holmes and the 1936 Flash Gordon serials. Yeah, I know it's tied into comic books, give us a break. But hey... <laughs> If you want to send a question or comment, you can do that by hitting us up on social media at Longbox Crusade on Twitter, Facebook, and or Instagram. And if you want to interact with us via live chat and be entered to win some free stuff on our live raffles, we give away free stuff every time, people. Check out Doing It Live Stream over on YouTube. We do them on the second Sunday of every month, and we always start at 3.30 p.m.-ish on Central Time. I say again, Central Time. And you can get signed up for that by looking up Longbox Crusade on YouTube. Please subscribe to our channel. Click the bell so you get reminder notifications when we go live we love chatting with you guys in the live chat we respond to your questions comments right there on the show and we have a lot of fun having said all that thanks for tuning in we appreciate you listening and until next episode keep your head down and your knuckles up from the finest pedigree, final legacy, got all my opponents never see me. Gather up components and gladiator, I'm rolling the mad ass sailor, my homie, they know it from my poems. I'm like, no, like December when I get with your November. I'm a rapper solo in the club with no members. Oh no, I stay with that Iron Man, I got a vision like Avengers. The intro and outro theme to this show and all of our action film face off shows are done by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J O S E F L I N 9. Nine, nine, you will not regret it. This episode is 1998. I screwed up already. <laughs> Try this again. Delvin Williams. No, don't. He's not a. Oh, <laughs> that's my bad. I just copy and pasted. And Delvin's on the roster as a as a non donating member. So screw him. We each had to select a year from our assigned. Let me try again. We each had to select a film from our assigned year, so it might very. Trying it for a third time. We each had to select a film from our fourth time. I agree. If you guys out there listening don't know, Jason and I are on another network. Stop flipping those notes, Jason. Oh, <laughs> who's leading this round? Is this me? This is you. Okay. This is round gone off the rails. I always get lost. I will lead us into round five. I think I yeah, straight by our ninth episode. <laughs> And we've got shows on comic books. We've got shows on Transformers comic books. We've got other shows on comic books. And <laughs> I couldn't get through my own. I couldn't get through my own joke. Damn it! Damn it, Jared. Scale of one to ten. Now, as a reminder to our audience, the stop flipping those notes. I, I, I'm sorry. You know what happened was I watched They Live a long time, you know, a long time back, and then. I've had other notes from other stuff we've done. <laughs> so so my, my notes are separated between They Live and Tomorrow Never Dies. Right. I'm sorry. Here, I'll just rip them out. That's what I'll do. <laughs> Let's just rip the Band-Aid off, folks. <laughs> All right. I'll go. When you're there done, I'll give them the spiel. All right. Okay. I'm done.